It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Welcome to the Money Guy Show. This is Brian Preston, your host, certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and fee-only wealth manager by day. Welcome to the podcast here on iTunes, as well as we're also broadcasting this now on Business Radio 1160, the CFO. And I'm so excited to be with you guys. If you're wondering, if you're brand new and tuning in Business Radio 1160, we are... um, Very excited to be here on Business Radio 1160. It's one of those things where we are part of the new media. We got discovered from doing podcasts. My name is Brian Preston. As I've already mentioned, I am a CPA and a CFP, and I'm a partner at a fee-only financial planning firm on the south side of Atlanta. And we've been recording investment podcasts for really the last two years. You know, we started these at the beginning of January of 2006. So I guess it's really a, a little over a year and a half. And we've had tremendous growth to the point that we got a lot of recognition on iTunes, picked up a lot of audience out there. And um, we've gotten some, you know, obviously enough exposure that uh, Business Radio 1160 decided to give us a show. And also we've had enough exposure that um, I'm actually in discussion with the Fox Business Network as well. That's that new network that's going to go live on October 15th to go head-to-head against CNBC. So some pretty exciting stuff. And if you're just curious, what are you going to get out of listening to this show? This is going to be different than any other show that you're listening to out there. If you listen to a lot of the shows, I think a lot of them... If you, if you like listening to financial advice that's provided out there on these talk radio stations, you'll find that a lot of it is targeting people who are stuck at that basic level, meaning that they can't control how much they're spending. Their debt is taking over their lives. They've got credit card debt over their eyeballs. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where that's not who I'm going after. I'm going after the people who I think had the potential to be truly financially independent in the future. And that's not the people that have trouble with discipline issues that can't even figure out how they can spend less than they make. That's common sense. I mean, if you can't realize that in order to be wealthy, you've got to spend less than you make, uh, then, then what are you even doing? I mean, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to go a step further than that. We're not going to just be talking about how you can... Um, you know, watch your monthly budget figures and and do everything there. No, we're going much further than that. We're actually going to go into true financial planning concepts. And I am a fee-only planner. Um, I'm a member of the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. That's the one that we are the fee-only guys, meaning we don't do any commissions whatsoever. I don't sell life insurance. Nothing like that that you have to worry about. I'm truly going to try to give you objective advice, advice that you probably haven't heard from anywhere else. And I think one of the reasons you also see a lot of the talk radio stations don't get into a lot of specifics about things is because they don't have the background to do it. It's not uncommon that you go look at the background of a lot of the people on these financial shows and they don't have the credentials. They might have been doing something completely different, um, but through life experiences, they ended up being on the radio stations. That's not the case. I've actually got the background in public accounting as well as managing money now for well over 10 years. Um, I'm going to give you as much experience and dole that out, roll it into this show. It is a passion for me. So with that said, let's talk about 
some of the things that you can, how you can plug into the show. If you want to go out to our website, it's money-guy.com. We've already acquired also moneyguy.net. That will be coming online soon. You can go check out those sites. And then you can also, if you like the show notes, because every show I do do show notes where I actually lay out a lot of the links that I reference and everything else, you can go sign up for that if you go to money guy dot com or moneyguide.net, you can go sign up on the left we type in your email address and you can tune in we'll you know and we'll email shoot you over an email whenever we do a brand new show and put show notes out there you can also write me an email if you want to give me show ideas because this is going to be your show as well sure we're not doing the call-in status yet we got to grow we got to build an audience before we do that but i do want to take your questions your concerns and any other suggestions you might have on how we can make this a better show and you can email me at brian that's b-r-i in brian at money-guy.com and um, I'll get those questions and answered as soon as I can and also maybe even include them on the show. What we're going to be talking about today, now that I got the intros done, back to the basics of wealth. I think there's a lot of times when I'm talking to people, we don't do a good job in, in our schools and just in our basic understanding of teaching people how they need to handle their money to truly become wealthy and financially independent. So that's what today's show is going to be. I think it's a great primer. Welcome, you know, everybody who's listening to the radio station for the first time. So now I have my Atlanta market share that I'm hopefully growing. And then I've got my existing, you know, thousands and thousands of listeners that have been listening to me for the last two years out there in Internet world, you know, on iTunes and all the other places that they go, go and download our Money Guy podcast. But we're getting back to the basics of wealth. And one of the things I want to talk to you about, and let me give you a few teasers about what we are going to cover, because we have to break this down into segments. In the first segment, I'm going to be talking about that most important concept that most of us are neglecting that is the, the leading indicator of you if, if you're going to be successful. And I'll jump right into that. When I come back, and um, I'm going to see how much we can squeeze into these different segments, we're also going to be talking about a good rule of thumb for trying to figure out if you're saving enough money for retirement. And then the last concept I'm going to talk about today is the, the most neglected yet important factor you've got to use to, to determine how successful you're going to be with your long-term performance. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't look at some of these, these things that are, that are pulling out of their, their accounts, that are, that are hurting their fund performance, and in the long term, that's taking away from their true financial independence. And, you know, and I think a lot of you guys, when I give you this information, especially a lot of you that are in 401ks, 403bs, those type of employer-provided retirement plans, you're going to hear some of this advice. You go, man, he's talking about me. This is exactly my situation. So tune in. Listen, we're going to try to keep you, you know, interested in what we're talking about here. But let's jump right in. The most important concept that really determines how financially successful an individual, family, a household is going to be, and if you're ready for this, it's deferred gratification. Deferred gratification is one of those things where I think we have all gotten away from it. It is the simplest concept in the world of putting something that you want now and, and putting it on the back burners while you're, you're building a foundation, while you're making sure that you're making the right decisions. You've got to put off some of these things so that you can truly do the things you want. You've got to live the rough life now. And it doesn't mean you're eating potatoes and water. It just means that you're putting off things that maybe you don't have to have right now so that you can have that better future and do the things you want to do in the future. You've got to make that go that road less traveled and do the hard things. The hardest part, and I always talk about this, 
The hardest part of financial independence is not really the investing or where to put it, put the money. It's really in the savings factor. I grew up in a household where I, I don't come from wealth. My mother was a school teacher. My father was a salesman. And they they never made a substantial sum of money, but they were just prolific savers. They, they were incredible at saving money. And the thing that I was always amazed at is that they would save all this money and do an outstanding job of that, but then do a dreadful job of the investment side because they didn't know what to do. Their idea of investing was, you know, just go buy CDs. So I'm telling you, they had the hardest part of the concepts uh, of to becoming wealthy figured out. They were great savers. They just didn't know to go that next step of how to invest the money. So I'm telling you, if you can whip how how the, the, the money management part where you are truly spending less than you make and you're saving enough money, and I'm going to tell you how much you need to be saving a little bit later in the show, you are going to take care of the hardest part of becoming wealthy. So that's the thing you've got to think about. And in today's world, it's getting harder and harder to really do what is right for your household, to be a, a, you know, a healthy, responsible person with your finances. There's so many outside influences and temptations out there that really only the strongest can make it through the gauntlet of what's out there in, in the world. And what I say, a lot of us are faking our own success. And, that, and that's not good for the long term, because when I say we're faking success, we're going out there and running up huge, tremendous debt on our credit cards. We're driving the new flashy cars, even though they're financed you know, for, for 72 months. Nobody's doing the, the traditional 36-month um, amortization on your car loans are 48 months, four years. Now people are, you know, at the minimum doing five-year loan periods of 60 months. And now you've even got some of these crazy through the, the genius of the auto industry that we've got 72-month payoff schedules. And that's scary. That is not really owning your life. That is borrowing and faking success is what that is. You're not truly doing it. And then you also see these same-as-cash offers. It is not uncommon you go to a grocery, I mean, not, I say grocery store, that's probably the next thing. But you go to the furniture store and you see that they've got same as cash till 2020. I mean, I, I, I'm saying that to be funny, but it's the truth. If you listen to some of these furniture stores, they have same as cash for like a gazillion years. And if you go re- look at the fine print on all these same as cash type things, you'll find that same as cash just means that you're accruing interest unless you truly pay off everything before that day elapses. And it is a big trap that's sitting out there, but a lot of us are taking advantage of same as cash. And I think it's one of those things where if you're disciplined, sure, that's not a bad idea to go use the same as cash option, but be very, very scared about if you don't pay that thing off, you could be amazed to see that something that you might have financed for a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars. You know, you know, you bought a TV for three thousand dollars, and after you know twelve months, to see that you 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 owe eight hundred dollars of interest if you didn't pay that thing off exactly twelve months before it was due. I mean, you know, before the that that date, that clock. It's almost like Cinderella when that clock strikes midnight. If you haven't paid that um, that loan off by the date that's listed on that original contract you signed, you're in for a rude awakening. So be very careful of those same as cash. I see them everywhere. You see them on electronics, you know, at all the big box retailers out there, furniture. You also see it. I've even seen crazy things where you see it on the Internet where, um, I mean, people are financing plastic surgery and other things with same as cash deals. It, it, just be very careful about those same as cash because 
all that does is if you're not careful, if you're not watching what you spend, it lets you fake success. And, and when I say fake, you're borrowing off your future to have those toys, to have that feel-good feeling right now. And that's not healthy. That's not what's going to do it. If you want to talk about what is healthy, how do you accumulate $1 million by age 65? And I'll tell you what you need to do. If you, I've got some great charts, and I'll try to put some of this out there on the website for you. But if you ever ask yourself, how much do you need to save? starting at any certain age to be a millionaire by the time you're age 65. Listen to these numbers. If you've got a one-year-old earning a 10% interest rate, and they have 64 years to, to reach age 65 to hopefully have a million dollars, how much do you think they have to save a month? They only have to save $14 a month. That's if you have a one-year-old. A 10-year-old, you know, this is what I'm talking about. It's never too old to start because we'll get into the later ages. But it's better if you start young, and I've got more information on that too. But a 10-year-old, 55 years is 65. They only need to save $35 a month. A 20-year-old, this is a guy coming out or a girl coming out of high school, still in college, you're working a part-time job. If they can start putting away $95 a month, they're going to be a millionaire by the time they're 65. Only getting a 10% rate of return. If you go look at historical numbers, that's not too hard to do. You wait until you're 30, now you got to do $263 a month. You wait until you're 40 to start saving, $754 a month. Do you see how this game is built the compounding interest is your friend when you're young, but as you get older, now that scale starts to get worse and worse. If you're not putting enough money away, you are going to be in trouble because you see it gets harder and harder on how much you have to save. If you're 45, you want to be a millionaire by the time you're 65, but you haven't started saving yet, you've got to save $1,317 a month. If you're 50, You've got to be, say, 2,413. Do you see how dangerous this is? This is something you've really got to be careful with and you've got to think about because becoming truly financially independent, you need to make those rough decisions now. Take that road less traveled and make that decision early so that you can live the life you want to live in the, in the future. It, it is the thing that you've got to do is put off the good now so that you can have the great later, and I think you'll be strongly and highly rewarded for that. When we come back, because we're about to have to go to break. When we come back, I am going to give you some of those retirement rules of thumbs, you know, about saving, how much you need to put aside to be truly comfortable in retirement, and why some of those things are impacted. And then also, I'm going to talk about later in the show the most neglected yet important factor to determining how well your funds and your investments perform in the future. You know, and that's going to directly determine how much money you're going to have. So tune in. I'll be right back in just a few minutes. Well, we're back. I got to tell you, so excited to be on the radio. This is one of those things where I think that I've got the opportunity here to give you guys amount of information that is going to load you up to make the best decisions and really become that powerful money manager that you want to have to be the CFO. You know, we are on the CFO with Business Radio 1160, but you're going to be the CFO of your own financial household, and you're going to be running something and building an asset, so you're going to feel like you truly are building an empire. And it's one of those things, if you can do the things I talk about in, the, in these shows, you are going to be so much better in the future. Once again, if you're just now tuning in, 
joined us at the break. My name is Brian Preston. I am a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and fee-only wealth manager by day, and I'm here to be the host of The Money Guy Show, give you all the knowledge, the tools, everything I can do to help you make the best decisions with your finances. If you want to go check out the show notes so you can get those sent directly to you, go to money-guy.com, and you can also email the show at brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com as well. So now let's jump right back into where we were. We were talking about how you save a million dollars by age 65. And what I talked about was if you just start at a young enough age, when you're 20 years old, you really only have to save less than $100 a month. And that's kind of the information that I learned, and that's what got me inspired to do this for a living. When I was in high school, I had one of those economics teachers that was also like the PE coach and um, you know, and everything else. He was a retired military guy, but he touched my life when he told me every one of us in that economics class could be a millionaire if we just started saving $100 a month starting at age 18. Now, his numbers were a little off based upon the math that I gave you, earning 10%, but it was close enough that me, not coming from money, working at all the fast food joints all through high school, aspiring to go to college, I, it hit me to my core and said, hey, I can do this too. I went out there and read every book I could find on money management. And and from there, my passion for investments and financial planning grew. And and as you can imagine, this led me to become a fee-only financial planner. I love giving it good advice. And and I truly practice what I preach. And that's how important these concepts truly are. I'm doing exactly what I'm telling you to do. It's not hard, getting back to what we talked about in the previous segment, to make half a million dollars if you start at a young enough age. As I mentioned, just recapping, if you're 20 years old, you only have to save $95 a month, assuming you're earning 10% a year to have a million dollars by the time you're 65. If you wait until you're 30, that number almost triples. It goes up two and a half times to $263 a month. If you wait until you're 40, that number goes up to a high $754 a month. If you wait until you're 50, it goes up again to $2,413. So you've got to see that there's a huge advantage to starting early. So I've got another illustration to talk about how beneficial it is if you can start doing this at a young age. And what I've got here is, and I think this is a pretty accurate representation. If you've got somebody, you've got two individuals, they both come out of college at the same time when they're about 22 years of age, and you've got one that says, you know what, I'm going to start stockpiling about two grand a year for retirement. So they start saving $2,000 a year, not that hard of a goal to reach. And then they got their friend who says, you know what, I'm going to live for today. I want to go buy that new car. I want to go buy those new clothes. I want my family, I owe it to myself to see how successful I am. So I'm going to go out there and fake my success by borrowing off of my future. So you have the one friend who starts at age 22, saving $2,000 a year, but they're only going to save for a total of nine years. They're going to stop after the 30th birthday and save that nine years. Right before they turn 31, they will have invested eighteen grand, doing $2,000 a year. But over time... That money, by the time they turn 65, has grown to the point where it's worth $579,000, assuming they earned an interest rate of around 9% a year. The friend that decided they were going to go fake their success, go out there and borrow off of their future, puts off saving until they actually turn 31. They didn't save anything from age 22 to 31, but at age 31, they said, you know what? I have woken up today, realize I need to start saving for retirement because but, uh, you know, I don't want to be doing this till the day I die. So that person starts saving from age 31 to age 65 for a total of 35 years. So 
If they invested for 35 years, that's total invested, doing $2,000 a year, $70,000 over this period, you would think if they compared themselves to their friend who only invested 18 grand and they've invested 70 grand over this 35-year period, they would have more money. That's not the way it works. This is the power of compounding interest. What Albert Einstein called one of the most powerful factors and, and things in the world is the power of compounding interest. The friend who started saving at age 31 and saved for 35 years only had $470,000 at the end of that period of time. Whereas the friend who started at age 22 but shut it off on the 31st birthday had $579,000. There's a $109,000 benefit to the young person who started and stopped and only had eighteen grand invested versus the person who lived for now, didn't save anything when they were younger, and then saved all for a much longer period of time, but still found themselves coming up short. That is how powerful this, this, this factor of compounding interest plays into your financial security. Let's move on, and I want to talk about some other things. Let's talk about your behavior and how that impacts your investments. I've already told you how important it is to save. Let's transition that savings now into how you need to, to, to think about things and look at your financial life. There, there's a lot of people, i got to tell you, one of the crucial things you can do to protect yourself is to not make investment decisions based upon tips from your family, friends, and even watch out for the media. And I know that sounds weird to say that because this is the media. We're on the radio. We're on Business Radio 1160. You think, Brian, why are you talking about the media? Don't trust the media when you're on the media because you shouldn't trust anyone with your finances until they prove themselves. So let's talk about what you can do to protect yourself to do the right decisions is you've got to understand really what your goals, your risk tolerance, and your time horizon is. And what all those things mean, your goals, you've got to know when you want to retire. Your risk tolerance, you've got to know how you're going to handle things if the market gets ugly like it's been for the last month or two, you know, where it's got these huge ups and downs where it's almost being flat, but still it's giving you these roller coaster rides that make you want to go home and take Tums every night. You've got to ask yourself if you can handle that risk. And then your time horizon. You know, how much, time, how much longer do you have before you actually do retire? If you know when you want to retire, you need to know how many years that is till you reach that point. And they all kind of work together in one big plan to make you make the right decisions. So you've got to avoid, and this is what I want to talk to you about, this is why you want to avoid your friends and family with a lot of their advice, because a lot of their stuff is given to you based upon emotions. It's not uncommon you go to that cocktail party around Christmas or whatever holidays out there and that you get some great advice from your relative who tells you they made 200% last year on this great investment. What they didn't tell you was all the money they lost on the 5 and 6, 10, 20 other investments they bought that have all just been stinkers. But they did make money on this one investment, so they tell you about it, and you run out and buy on that. That's, that's, the, that's the euphoria of going out there and getting what everybody else has got and not wanting, wanting to get left behind. And that's the part that leads to market timing. And you see a lot of people who get emotional about their investments, they will make the worst decisions because they'll take advice from friends and family based upon the excitement they see from those people. And then they, they don't hang in there and stay with that investment long enough and they end up making weak emotional decisions that cause them to do the exact opposite of what they want to do. Remember, with invest, investing, you want to do the, the basic simple concept of buy low and sell high. That sounds so simple. Doesn't it sound so simple to say buy low and sell high. But most of you, you're going to find, do the exact opposite. You buy high and sell low. And, and I've got research that shows it. There's a 2003 and a 2004 Dalbar study. And that's D-A-L 
B-A-R if you want to go research it on the internet. From The first study was from 1984 to 2002. And you can go out there. The website is D-A-L-B-A-R-I-N-C.com. But the average equity investor during that period of time, 1984, 2002, remember 2000, 2001, 2002 were dreadful years. But the rest of the time, there was a great bull market that was in the 90s. And then, you know, you had some good times in the, the 80s as well. But the average equity investor during that period of time only averaged a return of 2.57%. Inflation during the exact same period was 3.14%. So you see the average investor actually did worse than inflation. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 did 12.2%. Do you see how the average investor, and you say, well, what's the cause of this, Brian? The average investor actually underperformed. What could possibly be the cause? And the reason is, is because people... When equities are on market upswings, they're, they're quick to jump in there. But then when things are going down very quickly because things go down through a down market cycle, they're quick to sell. It's the, it's the whole cycle of fear and greed. They get fearful and sell at the bottom of the market. And then they get greedy at the top of the market because they see how much money their friends and family are making that they go and buy, and they usually top the market. It's that whole concept of fear and greed. Avoid it. Don't let your emotions do that to you. You've got to make sure you understand that in the short term, the economy is driven. Well, I should say the stock markets and and the bond markets and all the financial markets are driven by, in the short term, by fear and greed. But in the long term, they're driven by the long term, you know, the the core financial fundamentals of the economy. And that's why you can't let these short-term fear and greed items cause you to make the wrong decisions. There was also another study done in 2004 by Dalbar that examined fund flows. And what they found looking at over 20 years of, of mutual fund, you know, purchases and sales, meaning money coming in and money out, was that market timers and stock mutual funds lost on average 3.29% per year on average. And you compare that to the S&P 500, which actually increased by 12.98%. And you find out the reason was is because most investors were holding their funds less than two years. How is that a long-term investment horizon if you're only holding your funds for two years? You know, you, you talk to people, and when people ask me for general advice, I will tell them that a long-term horizon is usually, you've got to promise me, if you want to invest with me, that you're going to let me lock some of the, the majority of the money up that's going into equities, bonds, and other things for five to seven years at least, so I can make sure we weather out any bad market cycles that come up. So if you haven't, the average investor only holding their funds for two years, and the, I tell you that I've got to have it at least five to seven to protect you from the market cycles, how does it work? It doesn't. The math does not work there. I don't care where you were educated. You can quickly see two years does not equal the five to seven that you need to make sure you can weather any ups or downs that are out there. And also, what about the, the human condition where we all think we're in a different time where it, you know it's, it's different from any other time out there? There's never a bad time to invest. If you're looking at, at, at things that can scare you, the 70s, we had the Vietnam War. We had the OPEC oil embargo. We had Nixon, you know, and that whole debacle that happened in the White House. We had gas rationing in the 80s. We had AIDS was identified. We had the SNL bail, bailout, which is, you know, 
Fortunately, I don't think we're doing the same mistakes we made with the savings and loan bailout, but still, we, there's some things there that, that you can learn from history. We had the Iran-Contra you know, hearings up there in Washington. There was a lot of things going on there. And in the 90s, we had the Gulf War, the first World Trade Center bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing. You know, the, and now in the 2000s, we've got this crazy debacle that happened with the 2000 presidential election, you know, where we didn't know what was going on. We had September 11th. We had the Katrina you know, hurricanes that came through. There's always something for the human condition to think that this is the darkest time ever and that you should not be investing. Don't let that do it. Don't pick your mark based upon what you think is going on out there in the world. You've got to pick your mark based upon when you're going to retire, how long you can let go of that money, and make the right decisions based upon your goals, your age, your risk tolerance, and all the other factors that make up who you are as an individual investor. So don't let these things play on you. The cycle of, of investing is, is one that can scare you. There's a cycle of market emotions that I don't want you to get caught up in where you, you hit that point of maximum financial risk by buying while everybody else is at the top of the market and then hit not recognizing that you have that point of maximum financial opportunity when things are so bad where everybody is letting go of great assets right as they're about to recover and, and you can swoop in there. You remember you, a lot of times with investing, you need to be headed for the entrance while everybody else is headed for the exit. You've got to kind of be that contrarian. So these are the things you've got to think about. We're about to have to go to break one more time. When we come back from the break, I am going to once again give you that great rule of thumb on what, how much you need to be saving for retirement. I'm also going to talk about some of the most neglected yet important factors that really do determine your long-term performance and what you can expect from your investments. So I want you to tune in, hang in there with me. We're going to get you you know, zoned in on what you need to be doing with your finances to grow and become that truly financially independent person that you want to be and make the right decisions. I'll be right back after this break. Last segment of the Money Guy Show here. Hey, welcome to the show once again. This, if you're if you're just now tuning in, this is Brian Preston. I'm the host of the Money Guy Show. I am a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and also a fee-only wealth manager by day. And I am your host here on the Business Radio 1160, the CFO Money Guy Show. We are brand new. If you wonder if our background is. We were discovered from the, the, the new media of podcasts. We were very successful on the iTunes. Um, if, if you're one of those iPod generation people, you have an iPod. If you go out to iTunes, click on the business podcast, you'll see our, our, our you know my nice mug right there. And that's where we really gotten discovered and gotten all this attention to where we could come out and do these great shows for you. But getting back, because I'm running out of time and I want to make sure I talk about some of these concepts. A good rule of thumb for, for retirement savings, and, and I've got to jump in with this, is that you need to be saving, and embrace yourself, because a lot of you are going to be shocked by this number. You've got to be saving 15 to 20% of your gross income. Now, when I say gross income, you do realize I'm talking about that's before taxes, that's before FICA and Social Security and Medicare, that's before everything. You just take what you make, multiply it by 15 to 20%, and that's what you should be putting away for savings and retirement. And I guarantee a lot of you are not doing that because that scares the heebie-jeebies out of you to hear a number that high. And the whole rule of thumb used to be 10%. That's the rule that our parents used to live by, our grandparents used to live by. And that was perfectly fine back then because we had pension funds. You know, you go to work for a company, work for them for 30 years, and then you retire 
get a gold watch, and they give you a great pension that even gives you cost of living adjustments and everything else out there that takes care of you until the day that you pass away. Not the case anymore. Pensions have gone extinct. There's not companies doing pensions anymore. If there are pensions out there, most of them have been frozen for the workers that have been there for an extended period of time. But for the young people, now you're getting the 401ks and 403bs. So pensions have gone extinct. So you're not getting that benefit of guaranteed retirement income like you were given back in the past. And truthfully, I don't know how how much power I put on that whole word guaranteed at this point. When you see some of the airline companies, you see some of the others that have shed their pension obligations as a balance sheet tool, these are things that you have to now be concerned about that maybe you want that money in your name anyway because you can't trust that that money's always going to be there if that company hits some financial hiccups. So these are the things you've got to realize that you've got to take care of yourself. Nobody else is going to take care of you because then after you talk about pensions, everybody says, well, wait a minute, we got Social Security. Uh-uh. Social Security, unless you are about to get on that dole of Social Security, meaning you're about to hit your 65th birthday or maybe you're 62, you're going to be fine. But all those people who are much younger than that, you have to know Social Security is a joke. And I'm going to give you some facts. I don't want you to just take my word for this. According to the 2007 Social Security Trustees Report, in 2017, Social Security begins to spend more than it takes in. Did you hear that? In 2017, what, what years? This is 2007. So that's 10 years away. In 10 years, where the number of, of people retired, all the baby boomers are going to be starting to be on that whole dole of, of Social Security. They're going to be taking in that money from Social Security. Meanwhile, all the rest of the workers out here, there's going to be more retired people than there are workers, and that's where we're going to get that, that the funds are going to be evaporating quicker than we can make it. The money will be gone, not gone completely, but the money will at least being spent will be more than what is being taken in. Remember that whole first concept we talked about in the first segment, how I think it's common sense that you got to spend less than you make? That doesn't just pertain to me and you. That also pertains to the government. That's exactly why we are going to have long-term problems with Social Security. In this same report, A 2007 trustees report, they even made the following statement. We are increasingly concerned about inaction of the financial challenges facing the Social Security and Medicare programs. The longer we wait to address these challenges, the more limited will be the available options, the greater will be the required adjustments, and the more severe the potential detrimental economic impact on our nation. This is heavy stuff. And I'm not going to do the whole topic on Social Security, but just know it's a joke. You've got to do 15 to 20% of your gross income for retirement because there's nobody else for you to rely on. You're not going to count on your, 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 your employer to take care of you like they did. It's your parents' generation or your grandparents' generation. You're not going to rely on the government because they're going to have their own financial problems. You've got to take care of yourself. And that's why I say you've got to do 15 to 20% of gross income. That's before taxes, before everything else. Now, it doesn't mean... You can't count your 401k in that number. You can't count your Roth IRA in that number. You can't count your savings account as long as you are putting that money away and you know you're not touching it for a long, long time and you're keeping it set aside for retirement. Let's talk about that most neglected factor that determines your long-term performance. The two biggest things, the dirty little secret that nobody in this industry talks about that impacts your long-term performance are fees and taxes. 
These things can milk you to death where they take away your future financial independence because of all the fees and taxes you paid over the years. And that's why I'm going to talk about the next thing, which are index funds. Index funds are incredible tools when it comes to making sure you're not paying too much in, in fees as, to, as well as taxes. Because I'll go ahead and tell you, index funds are incredibly tax efficient. They don't typically have a lot of turnover like a lot of the other managed funds out there. And you don't hear this very often because I think a lot of times people in my industry feel like they have to justify the, their compensation and their fees and their wages by, by making things so complicated that that's how they, they pay for themselves. They feel like that their advice has to be so much, I call it spinning your head. It has to be to the point where you don't know what they're talking about so that they can feel like you know, you're getting your money's worth. If your advisor can make things so complicated so they seem so smart, you're getting your money's worth out. And I don't think that's the case. Sure, this stuff is complex in general, meaning that you have a long life ahead of you, that you have to handle a lot of financial obstacles that come your way. But I think a lot of things truly are common sense issues. And when I talk about index funds are incredible tools when it comes to, to investing in large company stocks, think about this. Knowledge is truly power. You, you notice that that's what one of, one of my favorite movies. If you remember that movie Wall Street um, with Charlie Sheen in it, he got in a lot of trouble because he was doing what was called insider trading. He he had direct knowledge of information that impacted the value of a stock out there, and that's illegal. You're not allowed to do that. So that, but it, it's a good illustration to show you how powerful knowledge is. Is that they had to make rules. The rules that the Securities and Exchange Commission enforces to protect the long-term viability of the markets, um, you've got to say that if you have knowledge that nobody else has, you can't use that. If you have inside access to things, that's how powerful knowledge is. So let me ask you this. If, we're, if we know that knowledge is so powerful, how can you know any more than anybody else if there are a thousand, really only a thousand large companies in the United States, because remember, to be considered a large mega company, you've probably got a market capitalization, meaning that if you multiply the number of shares out there by the, the, the share price, that, that's how much your market cap is. If you valued all the, the, the stock of what it's trading at on, on the exchange, what it's worth, you've got to have a market cap of over $10 billion. It's just not that many companies that are in that 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, billion dollar range. There's just not that many out there. So if you've got a thousand companies that are in that mega stock, like your Walmart, your Home Depots, you know, all these big companies, the GEs, the world, the, the names that are all household names, you've only got a thousand of these companies. And then you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people like myself. You can't walk out of a grocery store without stumbling over somebody who claims to be a financial planner these days. Everybody's probably got a brother-in-law or a relative that, that's trying to sell them a financial product of some type. So if you've got all these people that are pushing all these financial products, and they're all watching the internet, they're all watching CNBC, they're all watching and reading you know, the Wall Street Journal, the invest, investment news, all the publications that are out there, how could anybody know any more than anybody else when you have hundreds of thousands of people watching just 1,000 stocks? I don't think you can. And that's where I think it comes in to where the large cap, the, the companies trade on, you know, the, all the large companies out there, they are very efficient marketplaces. There's no way you can know any more than anybody else. So if you can't beat them with knowledge, 
how can you beat the performance of the average, you know, all your peers out there? You do that by buying the index funds because their costs are so much lower than, than, than the counterparts that are managed. R- recognize this. The average managed mutual fund charges internal expenses. And when I say internal expenses, that's what it costs for doing trading costs, paying the managers, and sent, you know, doing all the advertising and other things. That doesn't include commissions or anything else like that that they're paying to the guy who's selling you the product. But the average internal expense of a mutual fund, a uh, managed mutual fund, is 1.5%. Compare that to Fidelity's Spartan Index 500, which is an S&P 500 index fund that only charges 0.10%. That's 15 times cheaper than the average mutual fund out there. That's tremendous. That's money that's going in your back pocket and is working for you. If you've got over $100,000 in that same fund, Fidelity gives you even a bigger breakpoint. They take that internal expense from 0.10% down to 0.08%. So, I mean, you're getting it for dirt cheap. Now you're practically getting it for free if you've got enough money with them. So these are the things you have to think about is if you can directly benefit from these low costs and you know that the index, because the research is out there that index funds on the large cap side typically and historically outperform about three-quarters of the managers out there. So you're betting on that you, the fund, if you're buying the index fund, you're beating 75% of the, the fund managers out there. That's pretty good odds. Now, and I'm going to come back to the exception to this rule in my thought process. There's other people that think y'all just buy index funds for everything, but I do think there's an exception to this. I'll go ahead and tell you, the, the, the Oracle from Omaha, Warren Buffett, huge fan of Warren Buffett, think he's a great guy. He even recommends index funds himself. So that shows you how powerful this is. But I will tell you, Buffett has been asked why he doesn't take his own advice uh, because, you know, he's always recommending index funds to the average investor. And he came back with this. He says he believes Berkshire Hathaway, that's his company, can beat the S&P 500 by a couple of percentage points. Just not a whole lot better than those percentage points. So, and that's he's he's done a pretty good historic job of doing that. So, I'm going to give him all the credibility in the world that he's probably right about that. But if you think you're going to be one of those average investors, just go run out and start buying Berkshire Hathaway. Let me remind you that fund is trading. That stock is trading at $119,000 a share, or over $119,000 a share. That's right. You have to have over $100,000 just to buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway. So I, I think it's okay if Warren wants to tell us that he charges those fees. I mean, you know, that if he tells us that he thinks that you ought to be buying the index fund, but he's going to keep doing what he's going to do because he thinks that he can beat it by one or two points, that's fine. Most of us can't go out there and buy Berkshire Hathaway, but we can go buy the index fund that's going to beat two-thirds or three-quarters of those managed funds out there. So take advantage of that advice and do it. Now, the exception of that rule, and I'm going to wrap up this show, is... I think in uh, I think small companies and international companies you want to hire the managers. And I know I'm going to probably get some emails from people who disagree with me, but I think they have the exact opposite. If you think about this from a common sense standpoint, and foreign co- there's can be, you know, thousands of different countries out there. If you don't have an analyst looking at those stocks, how I don't care how profitable they are, the stocks are not going to go up in value because there's no market there. So you want to have a manager there. Same thing with small companies. Small companies less than $1 billion in, um, that are publicly traded, you're probably not even going to recognize the names of these companies unless they're in your hometown or you use the product personally. So I think there, once again, the value 
of the um, analysts and the market research comes in to create. Those are what's known as inefficient marketplaces. You want to buy managers for those type of funds. So I hope some of this advice has been helpful to you to make some of those financial decisions. You're quickly probably realizing that that there's got to be a catch to this because this guy's just giving away free advice. No, there's no catch. I am, like I said, I'm trying to get the, the information out to the masses um, I want you to, to, to empower yourself through this information, and then I'm hoping there's enough of you out there that might meet my firm's minimums of a half a million dollars, that you, that you listen to enough shows that you say, this guy's got something I want to be a part of. If he knows this much on this, how much does he know that he's not even telling us, I need this guy managing my money, and that's where you, it's all going to click. But for everybody else, I want you to keep absorbing all this information, doing everything you can to learn what you can to be a better manager of your own personal finances because it's on you to make these right decisions. You can't count on the government. You can't count on your employer. You have to be responsible for what's going on with your finances. So be very careful with the decisions you make and make sure you're doing it right. Until next time, I really can't wait to do the next show. Hope you'll be part of the Money Guy family. Tune in, go to the website, do everything you can so that you can be with us next Monday at 11 a.m. This is Brian, the Money Guy, Preston. See you next time. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.